Welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. On this week's episode, I am so excited to be bringing you a conversation with an author whose debut novel, um, if you follow me on social media, you know I cannot stop talking about it. It is by far one of my favorite reads of the year, and it's one of those books that I believe has a place not only in classroom libraries, but on the shelves of our professional learning libraries too. Before we dig into this week's episode, we do have a touch of business. We're just around the corner from the holiday gift giving season. For those of you who may have an introvert in your life and you're looking to pamper them, I want to tell you all about Introverts Retreat Box. When you head over to www.introvertsretreatbox.com, or you find the link in our show notes, you are going to find um, lots of different ways to pamper and show love for introverts in your life. Now, as a listener of this show, you can use a special discount code. So on checkout, be sure to use the coupon code ALLY, that's A-L-L-Y, to take advantage of some savings. Again, the discount code and the link to Introverts Retreat Box will be over there in the show notes. I also want to let you know that um, I am not only the host of this podcast, but Folks who know me well know that I also work with Shifting Schools. So listen in to a brief promotion about the Shifting Schools podcast and ways to connect with me through Shifting Schools as well. Hi, folks. I'm Jeff Udick, the founder of Shifting Schools and the co-host, along with Trisha, of the Shifting Schools podcast. If you are a fan of this show and a fan of Trisha's, you should check out Shifting Schools podcast. We drop a new episode every Monday. While you're at it, be sure to check out over 60 free guides and resources we have for educators on our website at shiftingschools.com. For those of you who are celebrating Media Literacy Week, I want to remind you that our special mini-series on all things social media kicked off this week through the Shifting Schools podcast. We just had a social media strategist named Andrea Jones on the show to talk about how her background as a lit teacher has led into her profession. So you might want to tune in the next few weeks if you are interested in thinking more about the role of social media in our lives, in the lives of our students. That mini series again kicked off this week through the Shifting Schools podcast. Now on with today's episode, the book that I am so excited to talk more about, We Deserve Monuments, is by author Jazz Hammond. So please welcome to the show, Jazz Hammonds. Um, your debut novel, We Deserve Monuments, to be released so soon, coming up November 29th, but is available, of course, for pre-order now. Listeners, those pre-orders matter so much. So if you are hesitating, don't hesitate. Get it in. It's been featured <laughs> in Dahlia Adler's BuzzFeed article, which curates 15 excellent books for this fall. The link will be over there in the show notes. This episode comes out just um, you know a few days before the book release. I'm hoping you might take our listeners through some of the process in writing the novel and maybe speak to a few of the sources for your inspiration. Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much uh, for having me. It's a pleasure. First podcast experience. I'm very mm -hmm. excited. 
Um, and thank you to Dahlia, who is just awesome and a beacon in the YA community for including me on that list. But it's been it's been a really long road. Uh, <laughs> by the time the book comes out, it will have been six years from start to finish. And it's been, you know, a long time of just sitting with these characters and grappling with them and changing their stories and trying to figure out what works best for them. And I started writing it back in 2016. Um, and it was kind of born out of a place of loneliness because I had just moved to a new city. I didn't know anybody. I was like, basically everybody that I knew was across the country. And so I was just in this really weird, lonely place. Um, but also anger, because we we all know what uh, 2016 U.S. elections <laughs> were like. Um, and so I, I just needed, honestly, to give myself something to do. And I used to really love writing when I was a kid. And I got away from it when I went to college, because it was just, you know, you're writing what you have to write, papers, etc. Um, and so I didn't really know what I wanted to say. I just had an image of a very angry woman and why she was angry because you know some horrific things had happened in her life and eventually this character transformed into a grandmother and eventually that grandmother became Mama Letty who is uh, my main character uh, her name is Avery that is her grandmother so it's been there's it's been many many drafts um i was really inspired by a lot of the contemporary ya that was coming out at the time like you know uh, the hate you give came out in 2017 i really am a fan of brandy colbert uh, rebecca barrow those kind of um you know maybe they might be considered quieter uh novels by certain readers just because they're about like you know growing pains and everything but those are my absolute favorite kind of books to read so i knew i wanted to write a story um about a coming of age girl who is getting to know an estranged part of her family but the other details uh came out through many 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 drafts <laughs> I mean, on one um, hand, it's it's really reassuring yeah. to hear that it was that long of a project because the the book is amazing. And listeners, I should point out, you know, Dahlia Adler has been a guest on this show before. And for folks who don't know Dahlia's website, LGBTQ Plus Reads, Dahlia reads a ton of books. So um, again, you know, to be on that list of 15, that's out of like so, so many that Dahlia so was many. probably <laughs> yes. so, so many. Um, but deservedly so. And it, I, I love that you point out some of the authors who have inspired you because I left your book just with this sensation and this premonition that you are really going to be inspiring so many upcoming writers. So um, that that's really oh, just so interesting you. to hear you say. Uh, and the and the different, you know, the complexity of emotions that went into your process make total sense, too, because that also really comes through. Um, and I, I just I, I really appreciate when YA writing grapples with emotions at that level, because I do think, you know, I am not necessarily as a 40 something year old, your primary target audience. <laughs> but um, I do think, um, you know, we we sometimes underestimate the degree of nuance that can be appreciated by YA readers. And I oh, really, wow. I really, really appreciate that you you respect that YA reader so much um, with this book. 
Absolutely. I, I was a big reader when I was a teen and, you know, I was a teenager in the reign of Gossip Girl and Private and like those kind of scandalous uh, series. Um, and I love those, but honestly, my absolute favorite type of books from when I was younger um, are those contemporary stories. Again, that were just about growing up, the first love and that first friendship breakup, like those really have stayed with me over the years. And I was a kid who moved around a lot. And so I didn't really have a lot of friends. And so of course I feel like kind of the stereotypical author uh, backstory where you're just like, books were my friend, <laughs> but it is very much true. Um, so I, I really just had to learn throughout the process of writing this, how to be honest and really tap into that feeling again of like what it feels like to be 17 and you know you you want to be treated like an adult but your parents can still sometimes just be sheltering you from certain things and whatnot and so trying to balance that curiosity and frustration about like I'm on the brink of everything was really important to me oh, and that comes through and it makes sense because um, listeners, I will link to this video on a shelf side chat that's uh, through uh, the Fierce Reads YouTube channel. You described yourself as a reader first, as a writer second, and then you go on to speak about the importance of independent media and blogging within the book industry. Um, I love that. And when we're talking about your character Avery in this novel, I'm wondering what it is that you might have needed from some of your early readers in developing Avery as a character or, you know, were there a few critical questions that really helped you carefully craft um, Avery specifically? Absolutely. Um, I think it was actually um, an author. I believe her name is Delilah Dawson, but I could be wrong, but she was giving like uh, tips for, you know, writing main characters. And it was like just a Twitter thread. And I remember reading it when I was still maybe in very early drafts of the book. And she said that a lot of times debut authors fall into the, not, you know, the trope of writing a main character that is pretty much a mirror of themselves because we are who we know best essentially. And in some ways, I do feel like Avery is a lot like me. And therefore, in early drafts, I was really afraid of her being unlikable and being, um, you know, just not perceived as, you know, cool or funny or whatever. And that's not what the story needed. Like, I needed Avery to really get angry and get super snarky at times. And that's not like me at all. <laughs> so I think when I finally gave her the freedom to like be her own self and not try to rein her in and be like, you know, oh, we can't say this. That's disrespectful to an adult. You know, there's a scene where she just completely lashes out on basically all the adults in the story. And um, that was like really scary for me to write because me as a teenager, like I would have never done that. I'm just so like respectful like I was raised by you know two southern parents I would never dream of that but finally giving her that anger and it makes sense you know when you realize just how much anger lives in this family and how much has probably been brewing her entire life that it just 
finally explodes at some point. So early readers definitely, um, I had I had one early reader who said, you know, I she just sounds like you, like because she was a friend and she knew me. Um, and I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but um, I don't know. I just, I think of Avery as a character who is really trying her best and, you know, but she's still 17 and still is in a vulnerable place when the story starts because she's just gone through a breakup. She's gone through a friendship loss. And those were lessons that Avery is learning, like, you know, that I learned actually in my 20s, not when I was a teenager, where she learns how to surround herself by people who make her feel like her fullest self and really uplift her, which I believe Jade and Simone do a beautiful job of that, of just like listening to her and asking her what she wants to do with her life. And it took me, it took me a while to realize like that's, those are the people that you really need to surround yourself with. I'm really glad you point that out because, you know, I'm thinking for the audience of this show who are in education, I think this book is actually a really great conversation starter for that uh, that piece about, you know, what are we doing to build our networks, our support networks? How are we navigating friendships? How are we ensuring actually that folks that we're giving that kind of like friendship energy to are the folks mm-hmm. who are going to give it back? Mm-hmm. Um, so thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is a difficult lesson um, to to learn at that age. So I I, I think you know again, it, it's in no way um, you know it's not like you are lecturing your reader about that. It's kind of a a subtle conversation, which I I think um, mm-hmm. is a, is a great way to go about that. Um, you've described this debut novel, We Deserve Monuments, as a love letter to queer black youth. NPR's Caitlin Paxson calls your love letter one of the five YA books that's coming out this fall to really pay attention to. So again, uh, it's just it's amazing to see the critical praise for a book that um, I I think, yes, absolutely warrants it. And I should say it's also a real joy and pleasure to read it. When I think about the nuance and care that goes into the depiction of the intergenerational relationship in your writing, it feels also like a love letter to the concept of healing or really just to um, the notion that family can be hard. I'm guessing that the emotional labor that went into your novel was intense. I mean, it's it's interesting now to learn it was over six years. So sustaining that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oof, yes. Um for our listeners, again, these are these are educators who will be sharing your book with with young scholars, some of whom will no doubt be inspired to, again, you know, do some of their own creative writing as a result. What advice would you have for those who want to do that urgent work of bringing more stories like this one out into the world? Oh, I first and foremost, just breathe. <laughs> I think that's like the number one thing to do like when trying to delve into your own personal familial history and whatnot and knowing that you know you might uncover things that make you really uncomfortable you might you know have to sit in some really ugly truths about people that you thought you knew and you know for me personally when I was a kid I I thought that my family was the only family in the world with problems. Like I I really thought that everybody else was 
you know, living their best Brady Bunch life. And my family was like, I saw, you know, my parents fight and, you know, there was drama and things like that. And as I grew up, of course, I came to learn like, oh, that is so not the case. And just really believing that, that, you know, that truth about you're not alone when when writing these feelings and that hopefully when you're writing, you're writing for yourself, yes, but also for the people that are going to hopefully connect with this and recognize themselves in your characters and, and in these pages and say, um, wow, that feeling is super familiar. And I try to stay away from um, reviews, but sometimes I get tagged in them. And so I you know, have no choice but to see them. And one person was like, oh, this was, I really love this book, but it was a little too uncomfortable. It hit too close to home for me. And, you know, at first I was like, oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but then but then I'm also like, oh, well, that that's kind of like what I was going for. Like, you know, so that you know that you're not alone and it's important to give yourself grace when, you know, going through, through this journey and I joke with my partner all the time because they are a nonfiction writer and and they write like memoirs essays and I'm like oh I could never do that that's way too personal I need everything fictionalized so I can take all my trauma and give it to some fictional person (laughs) and yes that's true to a point but also we all know that fiction um fiction has basis and truth and in your experiences and um you know there were certain scenes that I wrote where I thought that I was fine going in and then after the fact I realized that I wasn't and it was really hard for me to write certain things and you know really hard for me to ask my mom certain questions because unlike Avery um my grandmother might on my on the black side of my family, my mother's mom died when I was just five years old. So I don't, I don't really, I didn't get a chance to get to know her. I have very foggy memories of her. And so everything that I learned about her is coming through my mom, like secondhand. And so we had a lot of conversations, hour long conversations where we went on a road trip together and it was a really beautiful experience, but you will see that even if somebody is an adult in their 50s or 60s or 70s, that not everything gets solved in time, you know, before people pass away, before, you know, your loved one passes away. And just knowing that, I think, you know, there's not, there's not always going to be a clear picture, perfect answer. And I, I think the end of the book uh, no spoilers, but I think it, I tr- really tried to show that, that, you know, you're not going to get everything that you want, but I personally am just a fan of the bittersweet. So <laughs> some people love it. Some people hate it, but that's just mine. Hello. So, yeah. That's, that's really beautiful. And um, I, I want to actually touch on something that you mentioned at, at the start of that response about reviews, not always opting to engage with them, but sometimes, you know, again, it's unavoidable. I'm wondering, um, you know, again, just for upcoming writers, younger students, if, um, if you have any thoughts on when feedback is useful to you in the process and when it's not, 
and what it might mean for you to be like self-advocating for the type of feedback that you want or for, again, like maintaining that boundary around I don't need your advice, random stranger on the internet. Yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. That's really hard because that's still something that I myself am am learning. And I'm I'm the type of person who I'm pretty private about my work. Like when I'm working on something, like I've had I've had a case where like I'm I'm writing something and I share it with somebody and then they give me feedback and then I completely just stop working on it and because I, I don't know what it is like it maybe it's just like oh you've touched it you've tainted it with your thoughts now and it just I think <laughs> learning when when you want to get that feedback is really valuable because some writers like to get feedback along the way I'm the type of person where I'm like I need to finish it I need to know what I'm trying to say first and foremost before I get anybody else's opinion on it because there will just be too many cooks in the kitchen. And, you know, when I was a student, I did take a, I took, you know, some English classes or creative writing classes where you sat around and <laughs> gave feedback on um, on each other's works. And that's that was one of my first times that I realized that everything is super subjective because one person would say, I hated this detail. And another person would be like, wait, I love that. And I think that's when you have to learn how to lean into your own voice as a writer and just say, well, I know what I'm doing with this character. I, I know what I'm trying to say. And if somebody's just completely missing the mark, it is absolutely okay to just be like that. Thank you for your feedback. But tabling it <laughs> just gonna set it over here um I personally think that it's helpful when you are in like forming a, a circle of critique partners or beta readers or just getting feedback um is making sure you're exchanging work and you know I think having that two-way street and seeing when you're reading their work oh is this something that I'm connecting with do I like this work you know, because sometimes it could just be a mismatch of, you know, writing styles and tastes and like, oh, you want to write a really light rom-com and I'm over here trying to write, you know, a gripping the edge of your seat horror thriller novel. And in that case, it's kind of like, take each other's feedbacks with a grain of salt because you're, you're like, you're different audiences, you have different styles. Um, but also... Yeah, I just, I think that when getting feedback or giving feedback, it's really important to take, take what you, you know, take what you need and leave the rest every, you know, you don't have to implement every single piece of advice. And also knowing that, you know, and that can take time to figure out, which is why my book had probably 20 to 30 versions or drafts before it became the final version that it is today. <laughs> That's wonderful advice. And I really like, you know, you mentioning how it's personal and your approach with feedback is not necessarily like the one size fits all, but to really think about what it is. Mm -hmm. Um that, that works for you. That That's wonderful advice. And I, I think again it's it's great to practice, as you said, like leaning into your voice and practicing trusting your understanding of your own artistic intention. Um, and I'm guessing, again, that's something that it's taken you some time to develop and, and rehearse again and again and again. 
Absolutely. Like when I was uh, on submission with the book and, you know, editors are reading it and they were all responding in vastly different ways. Like some people loved it. Some people were like, oh, this isn't for me. Some people are like, I don't have the spark to edit this. And all of that, it's just kind of like, well, I can't change that. Like, that's not something personal that you can fix. And also just knowing that going in, like, you know, not nothing is universally loved. And that's okay, because I think that if that was the case, it would it wouldn't be it'd be kind of shallow. Like, I think that it's okay to have, you know, a very niche audience or, you know, just having a, a core group of people that get what you're trying to say. And, you know, just knowing that that takes time sometimes to curate and learning how to trust yourself as a writer and, you know, the type of feedback that you're welcoming into your work. Absolutely. And I, I should say, which is almost a little bit counter to that, I'm mentioning this because um, in the work that I do with schools, I often get asked, you know, what would be a great grade level shared read for the year and i know you just said like you know nothing is universally loved but this your book we deserve monuments is going to be one that um for folks that ask <laughs> it's like i i actually do think this is going to have that universal connection for a lot of different types of readers and i think there are so oh, many conversations <laughs> to be had from it so um uh you know again just a, a little bit of a antithetical to that but um uh yeah i i think um loads of folks are going to fall in love with your book. I'm so thankful it's out there in the universe. The librarians who listen to this show would be very upset with me if I didn't ask um, <laughs> if you are going to be doing any sort of like library talks or if folks can reach out to you or your agent to make that connection in the new year. And if you are too busy, we also understand that, but Absolutely. I have to ask the question. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm actually speaking at the DC Public Library as a part of my initial like launch tour um and so those details are actually on my website at jazzcammons.com um but i love librarians i love librarians and so i'd always i'm always down for doing a visit and you of course can always reach out to me via the contact uh, form on my website or also reaching out to my agent and her um her email is also on my website and yeah, I would love to. I I love chatting with readers and, you know, finding out what is, you know, making the waves and what and different types of communities. So that would be my greatest honor to connect with readers and librarians in that way. Great. Uh, listeners, I will be sure to include that the link to that contact uh, in the show notes. Thank you again so much for your time. And I'm um, really excited to watch and follow along on social media once the official book birthday happens. Um, and, and again, <laughs> I, I just I'm so excited to see the response to what is such a powerful debut novel. Congratulations again. Well, thank you so much again for having me. It's been the biggest honor. Listeners, thank you again for giving up some of your time this week to be with us independent media like the show you're listening to right now relies so heavily on ratings and reviews if you can take a quick 60 seconds to leave a review for the show to rate it i would greatly appreciate it see you next thursday